There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Andy J Podcast. Hey, welcome to the very latest Andy J podcast. I hope you are having a fantastic week. Now, what this episode represents is the beginning of a trio of magic movie moments because of course cinemas are now reopened in the UK and finally films are starting to be shown on the big screen. I don't know how you feel about this, but for me, I have really really missed going to the movies it's something i love doing i've been doing it since i was knee-high to a grasshopper and i'm a frequent cinema attendee i go sometimes several times a week i just love it so i'm a massive movie nerd so when i had the opportunity to make a show for the radio that was all about movies that were coming out i jumped at the chance and then i realized that the people i'd be talking to were absolutely captivating fascinating super cool people and i thought well we can get really good long detailed chats with them for the podcast so today's episode is the first of three. Today is Dominic Monaghan, star of Lord of the Rings, Lost. I mean, I tell you what, what Dominic achieved before he was 30 was just ridiculously brilliant. I mean, one of the most successful movie franchises of all time, for which he's a standout character, followed straight away by this unbelievably brilliantly successful J.J. Abrahams directed and created TV series Lost, which took the whole world by storm for a while. People were baffled by it eventually, but nonetheless, it was a juggernaut of televisual excellence. And he was a huge, huge character in it. In fact, his I'm not going to give you a spoiler, but what happens to his character at the end of season three has been voted many times as one of the most sort of standout moments in television. So he's done some incredible things. He also happens to be an utterly fascinating man. I've heard interviews with him historically and, and randomly he's been on my radar when he's done the chat show circuit in America, you know, because there's so many incredibly cool, brilliant chat shows in the States and I watch as many of them as I can here in the UK. And I remember once seeing him on one of them and he talked about, I think the drug is called ayahuasca, which is this incredible sort of thing that you get in the rainforest that gives you this unbelievable experience and all the rest of it. So I just thought, well, I've got an opportunity to talk to Dominic, a guy that I'm really interested in anyway, who's been in some epic content. And by the way, he's been in loads of other great TV shows and movies as well. I mean, he was in the Marvel Universe in one of the Wolverine films. He was in Star Wars, for goodness sake. So <laughs> yeah, he's done some really cool things. Flash Forward was another TV show he was in that I really liked, actually, but it only got to season one. Anyway, I'm digressing. I just knew this was going to be a guy with a lot more to say than just watch my new movie because it's good. So Dominic had to, had to be on the barrage of, well, a load of random questions from me and he took them brilliantly. I really liked him. He's great company. Enjoy this chat. I'll just tell you, tomorrow our focus is on Black Widow, the big, big Marvel blockbuster with Scarlett Johansson. Couldn't get Scarlett. 
that's for another time. But did manage to get O.T. Fagbenli, who plays Scarlet's it's kind of handler. I don't, if you haven't seen the movie again, I don't want to spoil it for you. You've got to go and see it. But O.T.'s in the film. He's also the star of The Handmaid's Tale and, and many other things, Max and so on. Lovely bloke. So we're chatting all things Black Widow tomorrow. And then the next day, so what will be episode 63, I think, of this podcast. Oh, my Breaking Bad fanboy comes out. We get the opportunity to talk to R.J. Mitty who played Walt Jr. in that incredible TV show, Breaking Bad. And all three of these people, they have one thing in common, they all have new movies out. So that's what's coming up. Right now, we focus on Dominic Monaghan. The Andy J Podcast. Hey, hey. How's it going, Andy? I'm good. How are you? Good, mate. I'm trying to just... I'm having a good look because I'm on my phone so I can't see you quite as clearly as I was hoping to but I was expecting to see a whopping wraparound handlebar full-blown tash and it is it still there kind of not really this is more just like a straggly beard (laughs) was it model's own or did they stick it on that was mine and it was excruciating (laughs) yeah because uh, I can't, I can't quite remember exactly how long I was in Borneo, but it was, you know, it was a good couple of months with that facial hair and it was not attractive. <laughs> or, yeah. That wasn't how I was planning to start, by the way. I'll do a proper hello, but, you know. All good, man. Just had to mention it. So, look, I mean, obviously we're going to talk, to, talk about Edge of the World and we're going to have a good old deep dive into that. Are you cool if we just have a little chat about you before we get onto that? Because we can build up to the yeah. Is that cool? It's up to you, man. Whatever you want. I'm so... Do you know what? I'm chuffed to bits to be chatting to you, Dominic, because I have done a bit of a deep dive into your life and time since knowing we're going to be chatting. And I've got to say, obviously, I was acutely aware of your phenomenal success and your amazing body of work. But there's other stuff about you that I just... I really want to tap into because it just sounds like you live the coolest life. Is that... Are you all right with me? <laughs> you? Well, that's nice. Cool. Yeah, let's get into it. Are you sure? Because honestly, some of the things I'm going to ask, I'm desperate to know, but like other people might be like, why are you asking about that? What's that about? But I'm so fascinated. <laughs> So can I start off, you're going to have to explain to me what this is, but it sounds utterly fascinating. Ayahuasca. Right. You've tried- Ayahuasca is, uh, yeah, ayahuasca is an extremely powerful plant medicine whose origins come from the Amazon rainforest. It's been used in ceremonial um, kind of practices for thousands of years. And... Um, I'm a fan of jungles. I've been to the Amazon probably more than any other jungle. And in some of those trips in my kind of mid to late 20s, I started to hear this word, ayahuasca, but it wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I drank it. It's a whole ceremony. You know, you sit with a shaman and um, in, in the jungle at night, it's kind of a can be anywhere between an eight to 12 hour experience. It's extremely powerful and life changing. And um, I usually do it once a year, but wow. because of obviously COVID, um, I've not done it for a couple of years. And so it's a, like on, on the most basic of level, because it sounds fascinating and terrifying. Okay, so, so you, I mean, you do something that other people very rarely get the opportunity to do. You visit these amazing countries and you hang out in the rainforests with the indigenous people in there. And, and I mean, what a position of kind of privilege and amazing situation to be in. And then how does that come around? How do you say, hey, listen, can you 
can you give me some of that stuff that's going to take me to this whole new level? How do you, it's, like, it's not like if you're in a club well, and you're like, hey, listen, they're, they're about to drop a good tune. I need to just get in, get in line with the music. <laughs> well, what it does is it, it blocks your body's ability to uh, digest dimethyltryptamine, DMT, which we all have in our system anyway. So all living things, whether that's plants or animals, are all full of DMT. You, you can see a spike in DMT in your, in your bloodstream when babies are born, when people die, and when people go through near-death experiences like, you know, car accidents or, you know, falling off a cliff, something like that. Your body floods with DMT. It's a massive pain-killing uh, endorphin kind of experience. So um, these indigenous people in the Amazon use it as a way for you to get through trauma, understand a little bit more about yourself, maybe, you know, go on a, on a spiritual journey. and um, the, the ayahuasca itself, if you drink it on its own, doesn't do anything. You drink it, it goes through your digestive system, it doesn't do anything. What you do is you drink ayahuasca with another plant in the jungle called chacruna, and chacruna is full of DMT. Ayahuasca stops your body's ability to digest the DMT. <laughs> it builds up in your digestive system and then in your bloodstream and then becomes overwhelmed. Wow. I mean, does it literally blow your mind? Are you just like, whoa, this is, wow. Yeah, you you lose any sense of who you are. You know, uh, if someone were to ask me in in certain moments, "What's your name?" I wouldn't even know what that question meant, let alone be able to answer what my name was. You know, you you're not you anymore. You 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 lose any sense of ego and self, which is obviously quite an important experience for for people. Most most of the struggles that we're having in our lives is our our ego's inability to deal with stuff. So if you get past that, uh, it can be helpful for getting you through moments of trauma, abuse, sadness, grief, breakups, anything like that. Um, yeah, it's extremely powerful. I would not recommend it to everyone because, you know, some people who have not had hallucinogenic experiences might struggle with it because it is extremely powerful. But for me, it's been one of the more formative things that I've done in kind of the last 20 years of my life. Crikey. I mean, if you don't mind me saying, you seem, from everything I've learned about you, you seem incredibly in tune with yourself and actually the planet. You care deeply for animals. You look after them. You campaign for them. You you buy large plantations in India just to sort of keep various bits of wildlife and so on alive. It's You, you act how you preach, which I think is really important. And it sounds to me like you have, have done this partly through passion and partly through what you have learned about yourself and, and the planet. Yeah, I mean, thanks, Andy. I try my best. That's not to say that I don't have good and bad days like everyone else does, you know. Um, but I think, you know, getting to grips with the fact that our ego is not ourself is, is a huge, uh, has been a huge journey for me. I think we all get tricked by our ego, which is a strong part of our personality. To think that is you, but you are not your ego because if, if you were your ego, you wouldn't be able to answer that question. We're always saying, well, who, who is our ego? What is that? If you're able to ask that question, there's something asking that question that is not your ego. That journey that I've been on has allowed me to, you know, be okay with, with dealing with things in my life. And as you said, I mean, you know, my connection to the natural world, to plants and animals, I'm not necessarily a, a religious man by any means, but that has been kind of a spiritual journey for me, which which excludes a kind of uh, human-built God, because the spiritual journey for me is just how do you feel when you're doing it, you know? And if I'm 
working with my animals or tending to my garden, hours can go by without me realizing it. And you have a, a general feeling of, of calmness wash over you. That for me is a kind of spiritual practice. I can get the same thing out of cooking sometimes or, or even driving long distances. But the natural world is, is kind of a fast track for me. And we all have those things. Maybe it's the gym for someone. Maybe it's running. Maybe it's working. You know, for me, it's the natural world. I think it might be chocolate for me. Nice. <laughs> you know, just, I mean, it takes me to a certain place. Chocolate and playing the drums, and then I'm, I'm good, you know. Oh, cool, you're a drummer. Well, let me ask you this, Andy. You know, when, you, when you're drumming, when you really get into it, do you, do you come out of it and think, wow, I had no idea that was 12 minutes. I was drumming for 12 minutes. It felt like two minutes. It felt like 30 seconds. If that's the case, that is a spiritual practice for you. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Actually, you're, you're so really? right. I, I remember once I read, uh, I think it was Eric Clapton, talking about how he can lose himself into a guitar solo to the point where he just, he has no concept of anything except the solo. Not, the guitar's not there, the strings aren't there, the audience isn't there, Just it's just the solo that's coming out of him. And it's, it's a remarkable thing to kind of be able to say that and, and just kind of have it happen to you. It must be really cool. <laughs> Anytime that's happening, my brother runs, you know, my brother, my brother plays the guitar, he also runs, you know, and when I, I was talking to him one day about ayahuasca and plant medicine and meditation and things like that, and it, it wasn't necessarily for him, and I said, well, can I ask you, when you go running for those two hours, do you come back and you're surprised that it's been two hours, do you think that it could have been 20 minutes? And he said, yeah, I always lose track of time, and I said to challenge him, I said, that is, that is your spiritual practice, you have been able to move out of these constructs that we find ourselves locked in as humans, time and schedules and what to do next and make appointments and be late for something. If you can get out of that headspace for a while, however way you get out of that, that is your spiritual practice. It doesn't need to be airy-fairy and flighty and lighting candles and incense and praying, although it certainly can be. But whatever gets you out of this time construct, that is your spiritual practice. Wow. You see, I knew we'd go deep. I didn't think we'd go quite so deep, quite so quickly. You're a very connected man. It's, it's absolutely inspiring. Can we talk, I mean, obviously there's a, I could throw a bunch of lines at you that, that make up a part of your life. Obviously Lord of the Rings, obviously Lost. These are clearly things that are going to be with you forever. But I would also suggest animals and adventure are huge, huge parts of, of your DNA, if that makes sense. Has that come from youth because you were born in Germany, weren't you? You didn't move to the UK till you were about 11, is that right? Yeah, my parents were both Mancunians, but we lived in Germany when we were kids. My parents kind of travelled around Germany. My, my dad was, was a teacher, my mum was a nurse. They, they worked with the army forces in different parts of Germany, Berlin, Dusseldorf, Munster, love Germany. It's a fantastic country. Those kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, pick up and move on to another place experiences that I had in my formative years probably dictated my love for travel, but also my ability to be relatively comfortable in strange situations. You know, I, I didn't go through an entire school all the way through. You know, I moved to three different schools when I was a kid. And I was in, I, I came back to Manchester for my last year of primary school and then went to a secondary school, started working when I was 18, have, have moved around so much, you know, since I've been 18. So I think my travel bug was kind of built in from my parents at the same time as a, a love of the natural world. My father was a biology teacher, my brother is a science teacher, and my mum loves animals. So those combinations of two things, loving travel, loving animals, when you when you add those two things together, so many of my holidays are me 
racing off into the jungle to try and find something. And you never get afraid? You're never scared of... I mean, the idea of racing on to, off into the jungle sounds so brave. It sounds so, I mean, utterly terrifying. Well, I mean, it sounds kind of hokey, but the fear element doesn't, it doesn't serve you, you know, it doesn't help. It, it, it's not going to do anything for you to be scared in those moments. Of course, that's not to say that if I am swimming in the ocean and I see a shark, there isn't a moment of like, oh, oh that can be quite scary, or I, I'm, not, I'm not foolhardy enough to, you know, be in, uh, you know, the, the forest of India with a wild tiger close to me and, and not feel like it's scary. But being, being scared in that moment and having it overwhelm you will not allow you to make the decisions that you should be making. So there's no animal that I wouldn't want to have an experience with that I would be stopped by because it's scary. You know, I've worked with certainly the most dangerous snakes in the world, the most dangerous spiders, the most dangerous sharks in the world. But the overwhelmingly incredible experience of being around them far outweighs any element of, of fear that would be there. And fear has you make those wrong, clumsy decisions, you know. Yeah, nice. And you you have a spider named after you, don't you? A, a, a certain kind of spider. Yeah, I was with a, um, I was with a, um, a ratnologist in Laos, and we went into a cave to look for giant huntsman spiders. And we got quite deep into the cave, about two and a half kilometers, and we were collecting specimens and some live, some that he preserved in, in formaldehyde. And he had said to me that he did not think that people had gone this far into the cave before. We couldn't find any evidence of it, no footprints, no evidence that humans have been there. And he said, if we find a spider deep in this cave that is, that is new to science, then you can name it because he had named something like 20 animals at that point in his life. I thought, you, I thought you were going to say like I thought you were going to say like well he was unfortunately called Mr Tarantula so you know that was taken. <laughs> so like six months went by and he sent me an email and he said this this was a, a new species of or subspecies of spider. So he said what do you want to call it and I said let's let's call it the Monahan spider. So there's the tennis Monahani which is a type of giant huntsman from Laos. Whoa, that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> have you got like a big poster of it somewhere or like a little plaque or something um i don't think i, I don't think i do i mean i've seen the image of it um that might be a, a cool thing to actually get a uh a, a version of it. i don't I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily want one pinned on my wall because then it would be dead but it would be nice to get like a, yeah. a, a framed picture maybe autograph copy from it yeah exactly a photograph or well you could add it to your tattoo collection you could, get, right, right. you could get an amazing tattoo of it. And people would be like, hey, what, what spider is that? And you'd be like, well, that's me, as it happens. <laughs> you know, you got, got uh, look, if I had one, I would. That would be, <laughs> that would, that would be how I rolled. It's a good shot. It's, it's a good idea, Andy. I like it. <laughs> think about it. Keep it in the back pocket. See if it works for you. Now, you mentioned you'd started working at an early age. You, I think you were 18 when you joined what became quite a bit of a tour de force, Hetty Wainthrop Investigates. Now, that must, right. that must have been a, a sort of really crazy show to just land on so young. I guess when you're still learning who you are, you land into this show that, I mean, how many episodes were we looking at? 27 episodes it's a, of a big TV show. That's, that's massive. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a great learning experience, that show, and I had a great time doing it. Um, Patricia Routledge was an incredible teacher. 
and um, I didn't go to drama school. You know, I, I tried. I tried my best on set to concentrate and and kind of figure out not knowing what I was doing. <clears throat> but really, my 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 great teacher in those years between eighteen and twenty two was Patricia, and she was she was great. You know, she definitely told me some lessons that I continue to take. You know, now onto onto film set. I have to admit that, like, you know, between the ages of 18 and your early 20s, you're so desperate to be cool, you know? Like, you want to be cool and be wearing all the right clothes and, you know, saying all the right things and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was a, I was in this weird kind of dichotomy of, like, having a little bit of money in my pocket for the first time ever, doing a TV show that was on the BBC. But it wasn't necessarily a show that all my mates were watching. This was being watched by families and you know it was kind of a, a cozy show which is which is great but you know oasis had just broken onto the scene and blur was huge and pulp and the end of the stone roses and suede and all of these bands and i you know i really wanted to like be involved in a show that was known for being cool <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily cool but that's fine like that was another thing that my ego was able to deal with but in terms of like learning tricks of the trade and being taught by a true master craftsman. Patricia was amazing. Yeah, now a dame, of course, which is which is pretty cool as well. I mean, right. yeah, rightly so. So before the age of 30, so that's like 18 to 20 something. Before the age of 30, you then find yourself in like the biggest movie franchise ever, Lord of the Rings, a massive role in Lord of the Rings. And then similarly, you go and do it again on telly in Lost. I mean... Crikey, man! Were you just like in a hurry to to to, to achieve incredible success? Yeah, I mean, I got very fortunate. You know, it, you do have to be in the right place at the right time. We always talk about this, the cast. That, like, you know, I was twenty one when I was auditioning for Lord of the Rings. If I'd have been twenty five, I probably wouldn't have been auditioning yeah. for Lord of the Rings. I probably would have been just a little too old, old looking. So, right place, right time. You have to nail those auditions. I've always been like unapologetically ambitious. I love ambition. I love targets. I love goals. I love, you know, like making plans and, and ticking them off on, on lists. And as a young actor, I just thought, well, the only reason why I'm in this business is to do big projects, successful projects, commercially, critically acclaimed projects that people see. It's great to be a, a tortured artist and it's great to be good at your job. But ultimately, as an artist, if, if, if people aren't seeing what you're doing, you're just screaming into a vacuum, you know. So Lord of the Rings was amazing. From there, I, I, I moved to Los Angeles and because uh, you know, I, I didn't seem to be working out of England at all, really. Moved to Los Angeles and I met J.J. Abrams. And in the first meeting, <clears throat> excuse me, the first meeting for Lost, it was, it was really a great meeting because we didn't talk about the show at all. We just talked about English comedy. So JJ was just talking to me about Blackadder and Faulty Towers and Monty Python and, and The Goons and Peter Sellers. And, oh, that's cool. Mm, the Office and things like that. And, and I walked out of the, of the meeting and my agent said, how did it go? And I said, well, he's great, but we, we didn't talk about the show at all. We didn't talk about the part. And the reason for that, which I found out later from, from Jay, was that the, the role of Charlie at that point was like a mid-50-year-old, early-60-year-old rocker, kind of like a Robert Plant oh, type right, guy. Yeah, yeah. 
And they, and what they met me, they thought, well, actually, if he's younger and he's more frustrated by being shot up on an island and, and he's still struggling with drugs and he's had, he's had the briefest glimpse of fame and then it's been torn off him, there's much more places to go with that. And within a few weeks, I, I was in Hawaii shooting monsters. That's very cool, man. And of course, you reunited with JJ for Star Wars, which is another one that you can just mic drop in there. You know, that must be. I mean, how much do you kind of pinch yourself and go, "Hang on a sec"? So I've I've done Lord of the Rings, I've done Lost, I've done Flash Forward, I've done. You were in a Marvel movie as well, weren't you? The Wolverines movie, which is yeah. part of that franchise, which is unbelievable. And then Star Wars. I mean, mate, this is crazy level of coolness, isn't it? Yeah, like I said, again, you know, I have been really fortunate and, and I am I am always putting myself in a place of giving myself those opportunities, moving to LA. You know, you, you sacrifice a lot in terms of your friends and family and yourself to, right. to move to LA. But, you know, I love my job. I've always loved acting. I've always loved being able to play new characters and move to different parts of the world. And the bar that I've always set for, my help, for, for myself is always like, well, let's, let's, go do the big stuff if you're here you know if, if you if you're a card carrying actor let's get it like let's get after it you know so it has been great and I, and I do feel extremely fortunate I mean you know from doing Lost, I got a very close relationship with JJ and his family from there as a Star Wars fan I was giving him quite a long mock hard time about the fact that he hadn't cast me in Star Wars. You know, I was like, just let me play a stormtrooper. Just have John Boyega turn around the corner and shoot me and I'll be fine. He's like, I'll oh, just wait, just wait, just wait. And then eventually he came to me and said, I think there's something for you to do. It's not huge, but, you know, you'll get a chance to be with R2 and C-3PO and Chewie. And that's all I needed to know. It was, it was an incredible experience. I cried on set. Did you? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I, we did a we, we did a scene with the whole gang with Daisy and John and Oscar and Anthony Daniels who plays um, C3PO and Jonas who plays Chewie and R2D2 and they moved from that set to an, to another part of the set but these sets are so extraordinarily huge that you know they moved about two hundred feet away and and JJ said to the gang hey listen it's going to be like an hour before we get around to you so go do your thing and we'll and we'll call you. So everyone kind of drifted off, and I was left on set on my own with R2D2, and there was no one else around, and it was just an empty R2 unit. You know? oh, wow. And I just went over and just had a conversation with this R2 unit <laughs> saying what an incredible influence he'd been on my life and, and how thankful I was for, for those movies and for, and for that character, you know, and, and, and it, it made me emotional. It made me cry. And I walked off set and I remember talking to JJ and he said, how was your day? And I said, great. I cried on set. I had that moment, you know, I had my Star Wars experience, you know, so it was great. That is amazing. So, I mean, I'm taking from that, Dominic, that actually you are one of us in that sense. When you're in these remarkable scenarios, whatever the movie, whatever the TV show, whatever it is, where, whatever you are in the world with these incredible people, you are in that moment going, this is really very cool. I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah, I'm a fan, you know. I'm, I'm a card-carrying geek nerd fan. I'm a Star Wars nerd, you know. Like, look, I just reached over my desk here. 
Yes, very cool. Very cool. It's a chat, chat on my desk, you know. So I love Star Wars. I, you know, I, lo- I grew up on Indiana Jones and the, and the Goonies and the Dark Crystal and stuff like that. I play Dungeons and Dragons. I play League of Legends. You know, I'm I'm a nerd. I, I get into stuff. When the things that I'm passionate about, animals and movies and acting and Manchester United. You know, I'm I'm fully into them. You know, I, I deep dive. So when I did. X-Men with Hugh Jackman. One of my favorite performances by him is in a film called The Fountain, which wasn't necessarily that well-liked. It didn't necessarily do that well. I absolutely love that film. And, you know, we sat around and just geeked out about it for ages, and I, and I talked to him about how the whole world went. Same with Ryan Reynolds, you know, and um, I'm a fan of actors. I'm a fan of artists. You know? That must be amazing. It's The Fountain, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't The Fountain the one with all the kind of other other lives, as it were, other dimensions and stuff. Yeah. Have I got that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. a head F of a movie, isn't it? That's a, wow. Yeah. It's a big one. It's a big one. But I think my journey with meditation and with plant medicine has had me at times hurt a lot into different experiences, into different lifetimes and galaxies and, and narratives. And I just thought, I kind of know what that is. I kind of relate to that. And, you know, Hugh Jackman's an extremely generous actor and person, and he sat around me and, you know, I talked, I talked his ear off, and he was totally fine answering questions about it. You know, so we did all right. Brilliant. Good for you. You've got to make the most of these things. I love it. Um, look, I'm, I'm acutely aware of the time as well. We've got to talk about Edge of the World. I could talk to you forever, by the way. I'd love to have a proper, proper, long, long chat with you about your world and your life at some point. Cause I, yeah, let's do it. What a position of privilege this is. But Edge of the World, of course, we've mentioned Borneo. We've mentioned your amazing handlebar moustache. And we haven't spoken about... I, I'm nervous about giving too much of the plot away because I always fear giving away spoilers. I might reference just for you and I, Gwyneth Paltrow 7 and just see if you know where I'm going and then no one else needs to know why don't you tell us about about the movie yeah the the movie follows the the true life story of a man called James Brooke who was around in the 18th century Um, a man of a a quite uh, a lot of wealth and kind of upstanding in British society who I think became kind of disgruntled and annoyed with his uh, inability to live the life that he wanted in England. He was quite free and open with his choices. And he had enough money to charter a ship to Borneo, which is the third largest island in the world, the largest island in in Asia. Um, And from there, ended up in Sarawak, which is the province of Borneo. And... um, became the first white Raja, which is essentially a, a king in Sarawak, where he was able to make decisions on who was going to be in a civil war with who and build, you know, museums and schools and amenities for the local people. As that time went on, obviously the locals became a little annoyed that a relatively, you know, well-to-do Englishman was their king. And then he finds himself in harm's way. I play another true life character in his story, a guy called Arthur Crookshank, who was essentially his batsman, his butler, his security guy, his um, confidant, and uh, a, a member of the British military who tried as hard as he could to keep James Brooke safe in 
in an extremely kind of delicate political situation that he found himself in. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it, it becomes, there are, there are times when it's, I mean, the backdrop is unbelievable. Borneo is just staggeringly beautiful. But as you say, you're there with your handlebar moustache. I can imagine it wasn't absolutely, and you, and you were, you were dressed to the nines. You know, there, there was that hot red jacket that you had to sport a lot. You must have been boiling, man. You must have been really struggling at times. Uh, roasting hot. I mean, those scenes are great because I call them no acting required because, you know, the, the, the direction from the director is like, Walk, walk through this jungle, be hot and uncomfortable and, you know, get hit by insects. And that, that's just happening. So you, you don't need to worry about in any way acting. You're just, you're just being at that point. Um, the handlebar moustache, you know, it went down here across my moustache and then up, you know, deeply unattractive facial hair. So obviously my civilian life was compromised by that because, you know, I look, I look like a mess, you know, but you kind of have to commit to it as much as you can. And, uh, you know, I love that part of the world. The people there are so gentle and kind. Um, the food is incredible. Uh, I'm not sure how much you've spent time in Southeast Asia. Maybe you've been to Thailand or Vietnam. But, I mean, the food is just out of this world. The weather can be a challenge. But I still enjoy that kind of end-of-the-world thunderstorm and then roasting hot weather. And, of course... The animals were everywhere. I only needed to walk out of my hotel and there were ants and bees and wasps and snakes, you know, in, in the town that we were in. So that for me was a treat. Most people ran, ran away from that stuff. But I was constantly taking pictures of those things. Well, I was going to say to you, was this a gig that you don't even need to see the script? You just hear it in Borneo for a couple of months and that's a yes, I'm in. Or, or were you like, no, hang on, I need to, I need to see everything. Because Jonathan Rhys-Myers is... is it's one of the most intense performances I've, I've ever seen him give. He, he really does it up, doesn't he? He definitely goes for it, Johnny. And, and he always does. I mean, I think if you look at Johnny's career, he's, he's always gone for it. He's a great actor, you know, and, and uh, when, when you work with him, you always know that he's going to commit 100%, which is, which is brilliant to be working alongside someone like that. You know, I always read the script. It's important as an actor to read the script. That's not to say that when my agent approached me, his his first thing that he said to me was, they're shooting in Borneo for three months. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's chat, you know, let's yeah, talk nice. about it. So he, he had said to me, he only had two or three clients on his entire roster that he would pitch those types of films to because most people won't do it. Being in Borneo, being able to eat that food, being around those wonderful people and animals was, was a great thing. And then ultimately, I look at that character and I think, can I do something with that? Is there something for me to do? I don't necessarily feel connected to an old-fashioned British Empire king and country or queen and country necessarily. I don't. I don't necessarily think that patriotism or flags are things that I'm, that, you know, that I identify very strongly. So for me to play a character who does is is a lot of fun for me. You know? and, and well, this is the the brilliant nature of being an actor, though, isn't it? You're not being you. And look at the range of roles you've played. And you're, you're so right. You're, no one's going to kind of think, well, we're going to typecast him in this kind of patriotic military man with an amazing tash and, and the ability to get very angry for, you know, with the locals at, like that. Because that's not you. You know, not you at all. In fact, it's, it's basically the flip side of you, isn't it? It is, yeah. And that, that like I said, Andy, it's a, it's a great thing about being an actor. You get to try on different hats and see if they fit. And you're, you're always trying to push... At least I am always trying to push those boundaries. You know, can I convince people that I can be those things? I think probably one of the words that I'm 
the most uh, nervous about in my industry is typecasting. I've always been very conscious of doing something that people think, oh, that's a typical Dominic Monaghan role, or that's a typical role that we, we think he could play. I never want that. So when I played Mary in Lord of the Rings, it was extremely important for me to then play a contemporary character. Yeah. So I went and played Charlie, who's obviously struggling to be a good guy, but he ultimately is a good guy. So then from there, I thought, okay, I have to play a bad guy now so that I can constantly show people I, I can keep moving, I can keep, you know, stepping stones a little so where do we go next then? So, I mean, you've obviously, you've just been Arthur. So how do you step away from that? I mean, what, I mean what's, the, what's the polar opposite of him? David Attenborough? Because they're, they're going to be like a biopic, maybe? <laughs> that, would, that would do it. It would, it would be, it would be a, a deep honour to try and play David Attenborough, but I'm not sure if it's one of those movies in the cast. Who knows? Maybe in a, in a few years' time. He's, he's an extraordinary man. Um, I think probably... I've always been very connected to fantasy and sci-fi and, and kind of making people kind of have have their thoughts be expansive and, and bigger, as we, as we said with The Fountain being one of my favorite movies. You know, the rules of the world are not the same as, as the normal world that we're in. With, with me having gone through, as everyone else has, this COVID experience, with it being quite stressful and, and not traveling that much and, and feeling like your life has been put on hold. I think the thing that I'm looking for now is something that is big and, and expansive and maybe, um, you know, inspires, inspires those kind of fantasy type thoughts I have. So that's what I'm on the lookout for. Oh, nice. Is that, have you got something in mind that you're not allowed to tell us? Well, there's, <laughs> there's a few things floating around and certainly I would think in the next two to three weeks or so, I'll make a decision. I mean, you know, my industry has slowly come back, coming back to normal, but it's not fully yeah, there, there, there yet. There, there has been some um, COVID restrictions that are difficult to jump through. But I think probably, you know, in the next six months or so, as long as something catastrophic doesn't happen again, I think we will start to to come back to a sense of normal, you know? Yeah, it feels it feels like it's, I mean, everyone's getting vaccinated and you just kind of think, well, the world has started turning again and you, you're seeing things like the Euros being full of fans and, you know, Silverstone Grand Prix is going to be full of people and so on and so forth. Goodwood Festival of Speed is going to have full attendance. So you kind of think, well, if that's happening, these massive events with, you know, tens of thousands of people all in the same space, surely movies can start ramping up production again properly. You would hope so. We've been very cautious, the industry that I'm in. They've been, they've been extremely cautious with not wanting to be sort of like seen as being rich and self-entitled people who are now endangering people in that business. So I think the acting industry has been very reluctant to be the first people doing it. It's great to see these big sporting events. Obviously, like I said, Silverstone coming up. We've got the Olympics coming up. Fingers crossed those big events will be hugely successful. I know Broadway's about to open in September. Mm. I think the uh, London theatre scene's about to open sometime soon, hopefully. If those things happen, like you say, Andy, hopefully we get to a point of saying, well, in a lot of ways we are back, so let's enjoy our life again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And in the meantime, while we wait to find out what the next choice is for you, movie-wise, we've got The Friendship Onion, which which is a new thing for you, which is very, very entertaining. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, the, the closest friend that I've made in 
in my journeys as an actor has has obviously been Billy Boyd. We've been we've been really kind of besties for twenty years or so now, and he's a he's a fantastic human. I had said to him probably two or three years ago because we sit around and and gangle on about nonsense, and I because I'm a massive podcast fan. I said to him, look, this is a podcast, Billy. If we sit down for an hour and a half and we cut it into an hour of good stuff, this is a podcast that people will listen to and people will enjoy. And it took Billy a while to realize that sometimes podcasts can be a little cozy chat between friends. We didn't want it to feel incredibly dynamic, you know, the week in acting or the week in the world or, you know, the update. We didn't want that. We wanted it to feel like once a week, you, you make yourself a cup of tea or you get yourself a, a cake and you sit in your garden with your two pals, Billy and Dom, and for an hour, you just enjoy yourself. Just like that thing of not realizing that the time's gone by. We wanted that feeling and that's what I'm hoping we're, we're achieving. And it is a lot of fun to be sat around working with you. It's lovely. And podcasts are so intimate that you you have a direct connection with the listener because the listener makes an appointment to be with you. And actually, you guys are so respectful of that. It's such a lovely, it, we become your mates. It's really nice. Yeah, that's what we want. We want it to feel like pals hanging out. And we're also so acutely aware, because we felt it as well, of just how special some people's experience with Lord of the Rings was. It might be their family's favorite movie, or it might be the reason why they married their partner, or it might be the, the film that they show to their kids every Christmas. We want to be able to say, look, we might not always talk about Lord of the Rings, but very often we will. But the feeling behind Lord of the Rings, this kind of friendship that never dies, looking after each other, supporting each other, we want people to feel like they're part of that feeling, you know? Yeah, it's great. It's really great. You know how you were talking about how time passes and you don't realise? Well, I'm going to get told off, Dominic, because I was told I had a certain amount of time with you. We've gone over and I will. I always get told off when I go over. <laughs> so I can only... Well, nice let's, let's do it again. Let's, let's figure out a way to do it again and maybe we can actually sit down and, and, you know, really get into stuff. It was great talking to you. I would love to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying that. That would be an absolute honour. So if that's an opportunity, Dominic, I'd absolutely love it. Thank you. That'd be amazing. That's it. Brilliant. That's it. Thank you so much. Uh, listen, I really enjoyed the movie. I can't wait to find out what's next for you. And I really, really hope we do get that, that full chat in the near future. Yeah, me too, Andy. Take care of yourself. Look after yourself during these kind of topsy turvy times. And I'm sure we'll chat soon. Sounds great. And have a think about that tattoo, the spider. It's, it's got to be done. <laughs> All right. Take it See easy, Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Well, as you can tell, I love chatting to Dominic. And clearly, we're going to have to do that again for a longer, more in-depth, more detailed chat. Because, goodness me, there's so many things more I wanted to explore with him. But time is always the devil on these things, and we ran out of it. But... What a guy. Really enjoyed that conversation. Hope you liked it too. Tomorrow we have a Black Widow special for you with O.T. Fag Benley. And then the next day, R.J. Mitty from Breaking Bad. Oh yeah, Black Widow and Breaking Bad. Oh, and we've just had the star from Lord of the Rings. Well, one of them, obviously. There's several others. How cool is this? Wow, loving it. Go well, my friends. Be kind, give out goodness, and hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.